0: I want to talk about the foundation of our confidence, and that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and read with me uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians 6, 14. It says this, but as for me, Paul says, uh, I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. A couple things I want to point out. First of all, I shared with you, the Bible doesn't say don't be boastful. The Bible says boast in the, the Lord. We're not to boast in our own efforts, but I just want to tell you this. God absolutely demands and expects that we boast in the Lord because boasting in the Lord is an expression of worship to God. It's an expression from my heart that I know who he is and I declare who he is. And listen, when obstacles come my way or challenges or storms of this life come my way, I can either fold up and die and roll over. I can either curse God and walk away from the faith. I can either say, forget this, this is too hard and just wallow in sin or whatever. Or listen, there's there's another option. That other option is I can begin trash talking at the devil. And I can begin to declare with my mouth the truth about who God is. How many of you know every time we come to church and we worship, we sing, we, we release the affection of our heart towards God, what are we doing? We're boasting in the Lord. You might not have ever seen it like that. In fact, I've had people say, well, you know, I don't really like that singing stuff. I just, you know, come late because I want to come to the message. You're missing all the trash talk. <laughs> you're, you're, you're missing all the opportunity that we have to openly declare, you know what, some of you that are going through storms this morning, and, and our heart is with you, and, I, and we're fighting with you, but listen, when I'm going through a storm, and I am singing with my mouth, Jesus is Lord of the storm. What does that do? I mean, at that very moment, that phrase is a declaration out of my lips that God is bigger than the storm I'm currently facing. And what am I, I don't feel, there's nothing has changed around me. Y'all realize that. When you come here, nothing yet has changed around you, but when you begin to declare with your mouth and boast in God and tell the truth, and it moves from right here down into here, something happens in your heart that changes everything. And you begin to look at situations differently. You may know what I'm talking about. What are we doing? We're boasting in God. We're singing about who he is. We're, we're sometimes you're saying, oh, Jesus, I love you, and you might feel far from God. But when those words come out of your mouth and you really declare that you do love the Lord, man, I just sense sometimes the Holy Spirit falling on me like a blanket. I feel this presence, and I, sometimes the tears begin to flow because what's happening, I'm preparing my heart Through the words of my mouth, coming off of my spirit, I'm declaring who God is, and I'm boasting in who he is, and there's an anointing when we agree with God. When you agree with God, you come into agreement with his word, and you say, that's what I'm choosing to believe. You agree with who he is. You agree with his character. You agree with what his word says. God likes that. He loves that. And when you and I come in agreement with his word and we begin to say that about what's going on, stuff begins to happen in the spirit realm that changes things. Situations begin to happen. You begin to look at the darkness and you say, you know what? Light is greater than darkness and I don't care how dark everything looks around me. I'm walking in the light of the Lord and you begin to boast in God. We must boast in God. We have to learn to trash talk to the enemy and to declare what the Bible says about the Lord. But I want you to see what Paul did here. He says he's boasting in two things, in the cross, that was Galatians 6.14, and he's boasting in Philippians 3.3, 3, he says in what Jesus Christ has done, and he's referring to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Now this word boast is an interesting word. It means in the Greek to live with your head held up high. In fact, the root word there comes from the word that means neck in in the Greek. And so what the Bible's saying when we boast, we don't have our heads hanging down. We're not looking down and all heavy and staring at the ground. The Bible says, lift up your eyes and I'm gonna look to the hills from where my strength and my hope and my help comes from. The psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. So confidence means you get your neck up and you start to carry yourself differently. You start to walk in the swagger of God. You walk like you're a son. You walk like you're a daughter. You walk like a king or a queen, but you're not walking like this because that's the way ungodly people walk. That's the way people who don't know God walk. But we're people who lift up our heads. We're people who hold our heads up high. This word confidence literally means with faith. It means full trust in who God is and what he's going to do on my behalf. And I'm just telling you, folks, and and we're going to walk you through this. I, I really want this series to be an equipping series, not just to hear the word, but to practice the word. Because the Bible says we're coming into times, perilous times, where people are going to jettison truth. They're going to be lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. The Bible says we're coming into a season where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So where are you and I going to be when the shaking comes? Where are we going to be in perilous times when things seem to get tough? I'll tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be standing in the swagger of God in full confidence of who he is, declaring the truth about situations, and we're going to be agents of change for the kingdom of God. How about you? That's where I'm going to be. How about you? That's where I'm going to be. But we have to learn how to get our swagger on. We have to learn how to walk correctly. And Paul here in this chapter shares an amazing paradox think about what he's saying here. He says, I am boasting in the cross. Now, we have sanitized the cross over the centuries. We wear it as jewelry, and again, if you're wearing a cross this morning, I'm not coming down on you. That's a beautiful piece of jewelry to wear. It's a good reminder, but how many of you know wearing a cross around your neck in Jesus' time would have been unth- you know, unthought of? Like, what, what are you doing? It would be like us wearing a, you know, an electric chair around our neck, People would be going, why are you wearing an electric chair around your neck? The cross was bloody. The cross was revolting. The cross was a stigma. The cross to the Jews was offensive. The idea that the Messiah would be nailed to a cross, they're like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Because the cross was associated with the curse of God. And and Paul says here, I'm boasting in the cross. It's like, what is he talking about? To the Romans and to the Greeks, the cross was a stumbling block because it intellectually made no sense. How could God be crucified and nailed in weakness? How could a God, a superhero-type figure, be nailed uh, in, uh, naked on a cross? How in the world could this happen? It was, it was stupid to them. It was insulting. It was a, it was a joke. And Paul says, no. I am putting my boasting, my swagger, my confident declaration in that cross, that symbol of shame and guilt and, and, and disgrace. In fact, i got to tell you, this last Sunday I was at the church that hosted the band of Brothers South, and, and one of the highlights of my weekend was when a man came up for prayer after one of the sessions, and, uh, and he told me something interesting. He said, Pastor, when you, I was at a meeting you were at when you preached about joy and marriage. And he said, when I heard you preach about joy in marriage, you made me angry. How many of you know when you preach about being joyful and the response is anger, something's going on? And I just want to encourage you all, when I'm up here being my awesome, nice self, preaching the word of God to you, if you ever experience a negative emotion, you might want to check about what's going on inside of you because a button's being pushed, all right? This is what he said to me. He comes up, and I said, you know, well, what's going on? he said, he talked about rage. He talked about anger. And then all of a sudden, it just started coming out of him. And he went on to explain to me in in graphic terms what had happened to him when he was a little boy. Another older boy molested him. And, And I said to him, and this is just Holy Spirit prompting, all right? I said to him, and you've been wondering, where was God? Why did God allow that to happen to you? And when I said that, a river of emotion exploded out of this man. He melted in my arms, started weeping uncontrollably. And you know how when you're, you're lost in such deep emotion, you don't even know what's going on around you? That was what was happening as he was revisiting the trauma of what happened to him. And then I reminded him about something that we all need to know. Jesus Christ was sexually abused on the cross. You're saying, well, Pastor, where, how was he sexually abused? He was sexually abused because when he was beaten, he was beaten naked and he was nailed naked to a cross, fully exposed for everybody to see and gaze upon. And he took that shape upon himself so that little nine-year-old boys who are being molested would know that there's not a God who doesn't care and who's distant, but there's a God who's very close and who actually went through the same thing so that he could identify with our sin and so that he could pay for it and so that he could, he could relate perfectly to what's going on. This man wept in my arms, and this is what he told me, he goes, I haven't told that to anybody for 56 years. Can you imagine carrying the shame and the guilt from what happened to you for 56 years and then realizing that the pent up anger and rage in your heart is being released toward your wife, being released toward your kids, and not knowing why am I treating my kids this way? Why am I treating my wife this way? And then to see that man, the peace of God come over that man And to see him leave that place completely free. That's why, listen to me, that is why when Paul says, I boast in the cross, I want you to feel the weight of what he's talking about. Something happened on the cross that changes everything. That ugly, disgusting, putrid place of injustice and shame and guilt and perversion and anger, the curse that was associated with it, there's something Jesus did on that cross that, listen to me, is the centerpiece of our confidence in God. Which is why when we take communion every week, it is like a bold declaration that I am a son or I am a daughter of the Most High God. And what took place 2,000 years ago on Calvary changes everything about who I am and how I go about this life. It changes everything. It is the centerpiece of my new identity. What took place on the cross? Let's talk about it for a moment. I want to give you three things that changed everything because of Jesus and what he did for us. The first one is forgiveness. And some of this is foundational, but I just want to drive it home again because it's foundational to everything about walking in faith. Look what the Bible says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, and by means of Christ's blood on the, I'm sorry, everything in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Notice, all of this took place by the means of what Christ did when he shed his blood on the cross. Now, sometimes when we think of forgiveness, we think of the legal aspect of forgiveness, and that's certainly part of it. The legal aspect of forgiveness just says, I'm guilty before God. I have a rap record that's a mile long, and, uh, and I have to stand before a holy judge someday, and uh, I'm going to stand before a judge, and, I'm, and Satan's my accusing, prosecuting attorney, and, and this is not going to go so well. That's part of the legal aspect of forgiveness. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin and wiped our slate clean? But that's only one aspect of forgiveness. And listen to me, people that are religious people, people that are go through the motions, Christians, they view life in terms of a checklist of good and bad and keeping my list clean and trying not to have too much sin. In fact, young people often say this to me. Well, Pastor, uh, how much is too much? How much can I do and still get into heaven? How many of you know that is a slave mentality? Wrong question. Wrong question. The essence of forgiveness is not... Do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and lists and and, and checking off things, that's not the essence of salvation or forgiveness. The essence of salvation, I want you to see this, is found in this word reconciled. Through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything, and it says he made peace. He reconciled and he made peace. This is all about relationship. When God reconciles people that are estranged, what does he do? He brings them back into fellowship. He brings them back into a love relationship. He restores the trust and he restores that relationship. And he brings peace where there was, where there was disagreement and harshness and enmity and guilt and shame. That's why I encourage us. You know, a couple weeks ago when I talked about culture, how many of you know we have to fight for a culture of unity and love and peace where we don't carry offenses? You're going to have chances to be offended. The Bible says you're gonna, you, you can be offended every day if you want to. There's offenses everywhere, don't pick them up. Why? Because it's so important that we maintain the unity of peace between one another. Don't let anything come between you and your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about relationship. Jesus Christ made peace with everything. That means he brings us into right relationship with God. And let me just tell you this. There are people that think, you know, oh, hey, everybody, God's our Father. And he loves everybody. He, you know, I've seen, I've seen banners out in front of churches that are basically embracing sin that just says God loves everybody. Listen to me. God loves everybody, but God hates sin. And God can't love everybody the same way if we haven't dealt with the sin problem. Because if we never deal with the sin problem, you cannot have a right relationship with God. And if you do not have a right relationship with God, you are not going to be experiencing the love of God. You're going to be experiencing the judgment of God. This is serious. When we say that God loves everybody, we make a mockery out of the cross. Because a death took place for a reason. And the reason that Jesus died on the cross is because sin is serious. And when we tell people that, hey, it's not a big deal and just love everybody, and all this kind of stuff, listen, you're making a mockery out of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross is the biggest deal that ever happened. God sacrificed his son. Why did he sacrifice his son? To pay for sin. Why did he pay for sin? So that the love of the Father could be released and we could have relationship with the Father. And listen, be at peace. You cannot have confidence with God if you're not at peace with God. You have to be at peace with God. How many of you know you cannot go ask a favor of somebody or a blessing from somebody in the body of Christ, let's say Tony and I had a falling out, and we haven't, we still haven't got the relationship right, and I want to go ask Tony to help me do something, I want to borrow something, or you know, I'm asking a favor of Tony, how many of you know, as soon as that thought comes into my mind, what's going to happen, I'm going to be condemned instantly, because my mind's going to tell me, you can't go ask him, because you guys, you guys aren't, aren't, you don't have any peace, you still have an offense there. You're still angry at each other. So I couldn't go to you and ask you in a clean conscience for help because we don't have peace in our relationship. How many of you know so many believers? Why don't you go to the Father? Why don't you ask him for help? Why don't you turn to him in your time of need? Because your conscience convicts you because there's no peace because the relationship's not right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can't have godly swagger if you're not in proper relationship with God. Look at what it says in 1 John 3, 21. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. How many of you know God wants us to come to him with bold confidence, but what is it that keeps us away? Our guilt. Why does guilt keep you away? Because it usually comes out of unresolved issues in our lives. Can I just share this with you? You'll never move in the supernatural provision of God. God. With a guilty conscience and a lack of peace. The forgiveness has to be received, but how many of you know you cannot receive forgiveness without true repentance? And repentance means I don't want to live the way I've been living any longer. You have to receive the forgiveness of God and know that you are in such a great relationship with God, you have absolute confidence to ask him what you need and that God wants to come through for you and provide what you need. That's what it means to be forgiven. But it's better than that. Let me move on to the next point here quickly. Look at the next benefit of the cross. It's freedom. Freedom. Look what Ephesians 1.7 says. God is so rich in kindness and grace. Can I just pause right there? Right there's another little secret for swagger. Why do I have confidence to come before God? Because he's rich in kindness and grace. When you come to the Lord, what's he going to do? Smack you around? Beat you up? Judge you? Is that what he's going to do? No. He is rich in what? Kindness and grace. Some people are like, well, you know, pastor, I don't know if I can bring my situation to the Lord because, you know, he's got so many other people to take care of. That's kind of like, oh, you know, hey, don't bother, don't bother you know, giving me a gift for my birthday because there's so many other kids in our family. Are you kidding me? God is rich. He's rich. Your little need, my little need, my storm will not bankrupt his kindness or his grace. So look what it says there. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our what? Freedom. So everybody say freedom? freedom? With the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Not only has God forgiven you. But God purchased your freedom with the blood of Jesus Christ, and let me just say this: He purchased the freedom of every sinner on planet Earth that's bound with sin and, and struggling uh, with an addiction or pain or shame or whatever. God has purchased the freedom of everyone. Look at what it says in the next verse here, Galatians chapter five, thirteen: Beloved ones, that's part of our new identity. I mean, you know if you're a loved one, a beloved one, then you come into the presence of people that you know love you. Am I speaking the truth here? In fact, one of the greatest ways to be a soul winner is to be attractional. What does that mean? It means you love people. It means that when they come around you, they feel loved, and when they feel loved, guess what? They let down their guard, and they're able to share their life with you. He calls us beloved uh, beloved ones. God has called us to live, listen, a life of freedom. How do we live a life of freedom? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you see that God's intention in forgiving you is not just to wipe your slate clean, but to fill you with his spirit and to give you the power to live a different life. Not the same old yucky life, not the same old sin, not the same traps, but a new life that's marked by freedom. In fact, freedom is part of the cornerstone of what the cross purchased for us. I'm going to convince you before I'm done with this section. Some of you are looking at me, you're not sure yet. Well, let's keep going. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He gave his life, meaning Jesus gave his life to do what? To free us from only certain kinds of sins. No, what does it say? What does it say? What about people that are dealing with gender confusion? So when states, side note, when states punish Christian organizations for trying to help people get free from gender confusion, I would like to suggest that maybe those states haven't read their Bible, and they don't understand that Jesus Christ can free people from every sin. How about people that have alcohol addictions? Hey, Patty Korzinowski, does your tribe know anything about, about that, and you and Ziggy, and the foundation of your whole blessing of your family was when God set you and your husband free from alcohol addiction and abuse. Come on, how about drug addiction? How about anger? How about rage? How about sexual perversion? How about whatever other sin that's dragging or hanging on you? My Bible says he has given us the power to free us from every kind of sin. And check this out. And to cleanse us. (laughs) To cleanse us. So that we don't live with the residue of that sin on our lives and our shame. Why is this important? Because you need a clean conscience to walk in the swagger of God. Your confidence in knowing him and walking with him and walking in freedom is so critically important. I got more good news here. Look at this, 1 Peter 2.16. As God's loving servants, that's who you are. That's who I am. You should live in partial freedom. Now, what does that say? Complete freedom. But, But Peter says this. Never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is the whole message of cheap grace. You know, that's why Jesus died on the cross, so that I could keep walking in my sin. No, 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 that's not why Jesus died on the cross. Grace is free, but grace is not cheap. The freedom that Christ has purchased for us is so that we could walk in liberty and never use our freedom to cover up evil. There are people today that do this all the time. They talk about, well, we're free in Christ. You're free in Christ to walk in righteousness. You're free in Christ to use the blood that was shed for you so that you could live a transformed life and give God glory. In fact, people were thinking incorrectly back in Paul's day. Paul said, oh, I hear what you're saying. Shall we continue to sin so that God's grace could abound even more? Like the more I sin, the more His grace. The more I sin, the more He gives me mercy. The more I sin, the more He comes through. Is that how we should live? Paul says, absolutely not. He said, God forbid. Christ did not suffer and die and shed his blood so that we could continue to willingly cause him to be re-crucified over and over and over again. How many of you know, again, you you, you won't walk in confidence when you walk in compromise? I'm gonna say it again. You will never walk in the confidence of God when you're living in compromise personally because the devil always knows he's got something to beat you up with. How many of you know the reason Washington, D.C. is a cesspool? is because everybody has some, something on somebody. And the reason why we don't have courage to do things like defund Planned Parenthood or to get our tax dollars out of promoting wickedness, the reason we cannot find the moral court courage to do that is because I'm telling you, there's lots of ghosts in lots of closets. There's lots of hidden things. And listen, compromise will make an absolute coward out of men and women. That's why, what does the Bible say? Bring it into the light. You know, one of the most powerful healing things is when we have people come up here, and some of you have heard your testimonies right here, and you said, this is who I was. And I'm just summarizing. I was a scoundrel, and I did shameful things. But all that is covered in the blood of Jesus. That's not who I am anymore. This is who I am now. You know what? When you're not hiding behind whatever your 54-year-old sin was, either that you committed or that was committed against you, when you can say, this is what happened to me, but Jesus Christ paid for it all so that I don't have to be bound by this sin. I can walk in freedom. When you can declare that and you can bring it into the light, that's when you begin to move in the freedom of God. And there have been so many times in my life when I've been through public humiliation, when I've been through attacks on me, attacks on my family, attacks on my character, whatever, um, the times when I have come before God and come before my wife and said this, you know what, Lord God Almighty, my slate before you is wiped clean. I I am standing before you with a clean conscience, so you know what? Here's where the boldness comes in. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks at that moment. All that matters is what I know is true before me and my conscience before God. That's why you have courage and boldness to do what's right. And I want to encourage you, walk with a clean conscience. Let me end with this, and then we're going to have some time for ministry here at the end. Point number three. Let me just back up just a second. How many of you know Christ died to save you from hell, but Christ didn't die to save you from the cross? Christ died to save you from hell. He did not die to save you from your cross. In fact, Paul said this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to die to yourself daily. And he said this. You pick up your cross and you follow Christ. The cross is not optional. Hell is optional. The cross is not optional. We're called to be followers of Jesus and to die to the way we used to live. See, how many of you know too? when, When there's no clear distinction between the old you and the new you, the old lifestyle and the new lifestyle, you really got to do some soul searching between you and the Lord. Nothing has changed in practical terms as a result of your encounter with Jesus and all that he purchased for you on the cross. Nothing is different, really? Paul said everything's different. His whole life was measured between before cross, after cross. And his whole future is rooted in the cross. So how many of you know we got to get familiar with the cross again in our own lives because it's the foundation of our forgiveness. It's the foundation of our freedom. And it's also the source of our favor, which is I want to end with this. It's the source of our favor. Look at Romans 8, 32. For God has proved his love. Can I just pause right here? A lot of times people come up to me in prayer lines and stuff like this, and they'll say, well, you know, if God loves me, if God really loves me, for God has proved his love. God is not a, in the midst of being a spiritual circus pony for you, all right? I had somebody one time say, well, you know, if God's so real, then I, if he had a burning bush for, for Moses, then I'd like to have one for me. I'm like, you joker. Who do you think he is? And who do you think you are? And have you ever heard of the cross? What happened on the cross? God proved his love by giving us the, his greatest treasure, the gift of His Son. And since God freely offered Jesus Christ up as a sacrifice for us, He certainly won't withhold anything else that He has to give. How does this work, Pastor? Well, here's the, here's, here's the logic of heaven. If God has done the hardest thing imaginable, if God did not spare the gift of His precious Son, Jesus Christ, but willingly gave him up for us, for you and me. If he could do the hardest thing, then what else does he have to do to to match the hardest thing? In other words, some of you are dealing with with crises right now, attacks, horrific things going on, struggles, fighting for relationships, fighting for your health, fighting for whatever, fighting for uh, people in your family that are far from God. The Bible says this, if God Almighty could do the most difficult thing, The giving up of his precious son for us, then what else can we ask him that would ever reach that level of hardness? In other words, that level of difficulty. And if he was willing to do that, then he is willing to provide for us, the Bible says, for everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need for life and godliness. So we don't say, God, if you really love me, would you do this? Come on, that's not swagger, that's blasphemy. God, if you really love me, what are you talking about? The cross is the foundation, it's the object, it's the symbol, it's the centerpiece of our whole faith. What do you mean if he loves us? That that should be settled in your heart that God loves you because he did the hardest thing already. Then what else could we ask of him to where he would balk at it, to where he would go, oh, I can't do that, that, that's pushing it. Are you kidding me? If he did that, it gives me confidence that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, that every other promise in the book is good, it's true, it's for me, that God himself is for me. Who can be against me? Is this making sense to anybody? If he did that for me and he did that for you, where's our lack coming from? Where's our lack of confidence coming from? Where's our lack of boldness in God coming from? Where's the assurance of our faith lacking if he was willing to do that? Look at this next verse, and I'm wrapping up here. Ephesians 1.3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already, everybody say already, that means past tense, already, been lavished, that means extravagantly given, lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father. The Father of our Lord Jesus, all because listen to this, He sees us wrapped into Christ, which is why we celebrate Him with all of our hearts. Honey, come up here, my lovely bride. When Marion gave her life to Jesus we didn 't have this plan, so i 'm grateful my wife just goes along with the flow. she never know. she never knows what I have up my sleeve when Marion surrendered and asked Christ to come into her life. The full blessing of heaven was released upon her. She was brought into right relationship with God. All of her sins were forgiven. Jesus purchased her freedom. All the chains began to fall off of her. But I want you to see this. When the Bible says we are in Christ, it's a picture like this. Isn't that beautiful? It says there, all because he sees us, wrapped into Christ with his wraparound love for us. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And nothing separates us from Christ. You can't rip rip him away. How did this happen? It took place at the cross. It took place because his blood was shed for us so that he could be intimate with us and so he could fill us with his spirit. In fact, this is a bad picture because this suggests that I'm outside and holding on but we're so full of the Holy Spirit that we're actually one. And you can't separate him. And so when God looks at you I want you to hear this. When God looks at you, he's looking at his son. And the son carries the favor of the father, which means you're not looking at God saying, "Oh God, would you please, you know, kind of help me out here and You know, God, could you maybe come alongside of me and give me a break or something like that? Are you kidding me? He has released the full favor of heaven on Jesus' son. The full favor of heaven. You and I live under an open heaven. We live under the blessing of God. Nothing can separate us. Nothing on heaven, earth, hell, anywhere in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. We you need to be moving in that love and moving in that confidence and moving in that trust and understanding. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't feel that way. It doesn't matter how you feel. Start renewing your mind and start believing the truth about who you are and about the crazy love of God over your life. I don't care how you feel. When you start believing and trusting and boasting and acting, the feelings follow, and those feelings are awesome. It is great to be loved by God. Excuse excuse us just for a moment. And so when you're walking through situations that are tough, what are you doing? There's a confidence that comes off of your spirit because you know who you are. And you know the favor of God. You are forgiven. You are free. And you're favored. Which means you boast in the cross because that's what the cross did for us. It gave us all that. It gave us forgiveness. It purchased our freedom. And it brought us into the favor of God. So you start to have a positive expectation in your heart that no matter what you're facing right now, God's bigger. No matter what you're facing, God's not done. No matter what you're going through or how you feel, God will never leave you or forsake you. He is absolutely committed to you. His wrap around love will never be broken off of your life. You can't pry his hand. Jesus said that, that that we were in his hand. Nobody could steal us from the hand of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it means to boast in the cross. Um, where's our worship team? Are they out here still? I didn't tell them about this either. This is all spontaneous. Yeah, get, tell them to put that coffee down and donuts and whatever else they're enjoying in there. Get in here. We're going to put them to work. You know what? I just want to open the altars this morning. Thank you, sweetie. You can stay up. I want to pray for people. Uh, I want to open the altars this morning just for this. How about this? A fresh boasting in the cross and what it's done for your life. You know, sometimes we just need to tweak some things. You know what I'm talking about? We just get a little sloppy. But you know what I'm talking about? A little sloppy. I'm talking about our personal consecration. Sometimes it's just good to say, Lord, thank you for your blood. And thank you for your love. And, Lord, I recommit my life to you. You know, here, here's the question I want to ask you. Is there anything in your mind right now, in your conscience, that would condemn you before God? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, if I, were, if I was the Lord and I'm saying, hey, come here. Let's, let's hug. Let's, let's communicate. Come here. Would there be anything in you that wouldn't just jump out of your seat and just run? Or would you be like, oh, no, I can't, Lord. Let me. Uh, I got to take care of a few things. That's what I'm talking about. Is your life a clean slate? Is your conscience pure before God? If it's not, you're you're short-circuiting the swagger God wants to have on your life. It's a slippery slope. You You don't have any sure confidence. Your feet are slipping out from you. But if your conscience is clear, Paul said you could come boldly before the Lord and ask whatever you needed. God would be there for you. So the altar's just open. just for us to do business with God. Sometimes it's fresh surrender. Sometimes it's just, there might be somebody here today that you don't know Christ. I'm inviting you. Come forward. We want to pray with you. Jesus is waiting. Forgive you. Free you. Release his favor upon your life. So beautiful. Some of you might just be struggling with something. We want to stand with you this morning and we want to believe God in full confidence that God's got this. So stand to your feet. We're going to worship. The altars are open. If you need to slip out, Feel free to do that marriage class at 4 o'clock today. But I encourage you right now, come. Come. Make sure your mind or your heart's clean. Make sure that there's boldness. Come, and don't be shy. Come, and honor the Lord. Come, and and renew your full assurance and confidence with God this morning.